My people, my people, come join us in our space. My people, my people, come on in, come one, come all. Holy cow, do I see a Chris Wheeler possibly joining the show? How is that possible? Well, hold on. He's my co-host. Let me invite Mr. Wheeler here. Uh, Hopefully our man, Michael Shank, will be in here momentarily. I see he is a listener, I believe. We're going to go ahead and invite our co-host there, Mr. Wheeler. How are you this fine day? Mr. Pruitt and our early arrivals here in the Hashtag Racing Family Show, good evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Everything's great, man. It's a heat wave of sorts. It was mid-60s today, currently 63 degrees, low winds. It's shining here in the corn coast of Indianapolis, Indiana. And look at that. It's a beautiful thing. Look at that. Oh, he's you, only listening. I thought I got excited. I thought Shank was logged in as a, as, a, as a converser already. Well, let me send another invite to speak. He was actually ahead of the curve. He was too fast for me, which is kind of the norm. Uh, sent me a text at, what, uh, 329 my time saying, hey, I'm trying to get in. There's nothing going on. So uh, we will uh, <laughs> wait for our man, Mike to uh, come and play. Let's say a thank you as always to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting all that we do. <sighs> so you were looking for a another vehicle earlier today, Wheeler. Did you find anything? I think I want to spend money on you. Like, all right, I'm here now. I'm torn between Hey, going, Shake! <laughs> going big time and going going hoopty so i'm stuck in the middle but but ladies and gentlemen oh my goodness this is a moment i've been waiting for since we started the hashtag racing family show can i introduce all of you to the original og life coach and mentor of mine one of the coolest dudes you'll ever meet mr mike shake i'll venmo you 50 bucks thank you I love it. I wouldn't invoice you anyway, Mike. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, boys. So, Mike, tell us uh, a little bit about today. I want to get into this weekend, you being one of the uh, few teams, IndyCar teams, that are pulling double duty and both Saturday's feature with IMSA and then Sunday's big feature with IndyCar. But before we get to that, Mike, let's talk a little bit about this rerouting of private testing. That was meant to happen last week at Indianapolis. Weather did not comply. Number of teams just blasted down to Barber. No timing and scoring involved, unfortunately. Actually, fortunately, that means I don't have to write a, 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 a test report. But tell us about how the day went. Uh, all good for you and the Marshank Racing side. Any dramas elsewhere? Tell us about the day. Um so really this started, this drama started last week when we were supposed to be in Indianapolis. So for me, it was extremely stressful. I, I just hate it when we're sitting there staring at bad weather and we don't want to give up on it, but then, you know, it doesn't work out. And then, you know, there's a huge expense and a huge waste of time we had last week, which is really bugs me for some reason, but we did make the decision to come down here and I'm glad we did. It was beautiful. 
perfect weather today. Uh, probably would be very similar to this, maybe a little hotter when we come back in three weeks. But uh, it was really good. Elio hasn't been here in three or four years. And, um, and Simon had driven, you know, it, 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 kind of our package at this place. So turned out it was a pretty good deal. But, you know, what I didn't like about it was it immediately puts all the guys on their back foot at the beginning of the second quarter of hell for IndyCar people that work in the industry. So uh, we're fine, though. We're surviving. We had a good day. I did not let my guys do the happy hour. We shut off around 4 o'clock, and they continued till 5. Uh, I can tell you that Colton looked really good. He probably was the quickest. Um, but, you know, our cars are very good, too. So um, I'm glad we came ultimately. So, Mike, we talked about the weather. Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I got you. I got you. Gotcha. There we go. Yeah, I think we had a, a brief pause there. But um, you, know, you talked right there, perfect weather day, maybe a little bit warmer when we come back. Everybody talks about how Barber is physically one of the most demanding permanent road courses IndyCar visits. Um, is there any false senses that you guys have to try and look through after testing on a day with potentially cooler weather than race time, knowing that, you know, the driver is able to handle this much caster, this much of a setup, but man, when it warms up, are they going to be able to hang on? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, it's a, can you hear me now, Chris? Hello? Yeah, I got you loud and clear. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, that is a problem. And, and caster is always kind of an issue here and how much a driver can take. Uh, fortunately, it's about 81 degrees here today, so we have a lot of, I think, what will be actually similar track conditions to uh, three weeks, but uh, yeah, there is always that, but we we needed to get our two guys just in the ballpark because they both, you know, for different reasons, hadn't driven this car at this track for a while, so I'm glad that we got that done. We won't read a ton into it, except uh, it's just more miles for uh, Simon to get used to our car instead of Penske's, which is quite a, quite a lot different, actually considering we have spec cars here. So we talked about that and, you know, obviously Simon coming off the, the Chevy now to the Honda power plant, everybody says the new Chevy has a little bit more match drivability, but it's been a known thing for years within the, the groups that the drivers think that the, the drivability um, and, the, and the torque curve, power curve um, on that Honda power plant you guys run allows drivers, you know, be a little bit more aggressive, especially center off of corners. How's Simon adapting with you guys and the engineers into, into almost a new style of driving? It's it's a little – he's doing great. I mean, he's adapting just fine, but he's a very intelligent guy, But uh, and he's doing fine with it. But uh, it does take a little bit of time. So you have drivability, engine drivability, and then you have chassis drivability, right? And that's a whole different deal. It's, it, it just amazes me. How different cars drive. It's the same damn car, but the details are the difference, right? And how people accomplish similar things. Now, we've seen the Penske cars, the first two races on both an oval and a, and a, a street course, look pretty damn racy, like they got some mojo back here. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see how the year goes, but they are really, really different cars, or sorry, motors and chassis. That makes sense, and uh, thanks for that. Now let's do a quick shift. Let's focus on this week, big one, right? It's let's let's take the month of May off the calendar, and it, I don't think it gets bigger than us going to Long Beach with IndyCar. And of course, like Marshall said, you're going to do double duty. I I smile at the thought of that. Thinking back to the days of Mike Shank, the single DPI car, gentleman driver, um, fighting to get you know um, the, the right engine package to be able to compete at Indianapolis to now an Indy 500 winning owner, you know, 
a uh, 24-hour winning owner, now with two cars full-time in IndyCar, a full-time Acura uh, DPI, and you get to go run at the top level at Long Beach Grand Prix with three different race cars in two divisions. That's pretty cool. It's it's very cool. When you say it like that, it's very, very cool. But, I, you know, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, it's Acura's home race. It's uh, After all, it's the Acura Grand Prix now. So we we feel a lot of pressure uh, to perform there. The Acura DPI cars have uh, not done very well there the last few years, and it's just uh, not a great, great track for our car. Uh, but we're going to go there. Uh, we got a 10-kilogram uh, weight break, which is not a lot, 22 pounds. But uh, we'll go there and do everything we can to get an Acura win. And the two teams that have the Acuras, we're going to work together this weekend to give the mothership what they need and want. Mike, I'd love to hear, with Chris referencing back in the day, running at Long Beach in, say, the Daytona prototype era, could you share with folks how different your preparation is as a team coming to Long Beach with both a two-car IndyCar program and a factory Acura DPI effort in IMSA, maybe in terms of whether it's simulator time for your drivers, uh, straight computer-based simulation in terms of setup and whatnot. Uh, tell folks how th- much things have changed over the years and how you just turning up and uh, taking a look at the floor after a couple laps in the opening session to figure out if the ride height's okay. Like, yeah, we, we've progressed beyond that a little bit in terms of pre-race preparation. It, you know, that's a great question, actually. I, the preparation, the, the during-the-week stuff we do, is so much more now. I feel like it is ramped up three times what it used to be, even in 2014, 13, 14, 15. Uh, going from a DPI to a P2 car to what we're doing now to prepare for it is it the, the step that is taken with technology that we have now, not only driver in the loop simulations, chassis simulations, and of course AI is starting to creep into our world now too. All of these tools make it so that essentially the work is done during the week. So we understand the primary setup. We have the bolt-ons to that, the option A, B, and C's, where we're going to go based on what the sim and the drivers say. All of that's done during the week to include strategy. You know, now we're looking at strategy, you know, way before we used to look at it. It is just so much more technology-driven than it was six years and seven years ago. It really blows my mind, actually. And I tell you what, if you don't keep up and if you don't you know, keep progressing with it, it's going to run your ass over. And uh, we are trying desperately not to have that happen. So it's just people, but people, knowledgeable people, looking at new tech, keeping your mind open for tools that can help us work. And uh, with limited testing, you know, we got to do everything we can kind of, you know, off track nowadays. So we don't want to give away too many secrets. But I would love if you could expand on the AI part just a little bit. So we're not quite talking about Skynet. Uh, we're not going to be launching Terminator invasions here uh, and time travel with the AI that we're using and racing right now. But for those who don't know, how does it play a role? In what areas is AI being used these days, Mike? Well, so I'm trying not to talk too much out of line here um ai is coming in a big way it's already in formula one and been there for a bit but it's developing on indycar and sports car side nowadays and you know ultimately 
what I would call supercomputers are going to kind of run these races and race weekends. I think not today, not tomorrow, but simulation is one level of thing. But I think when you start looking at AI and what AI is capable of on all facets of racing, if you think about it, uh, it could be a whole new world we step into and uh, managing data, storing data, using historical data to make decisions. Um, there's just, there's so many things that are rapidly advancing and um, we're trying to keep up with it, but it's, it's, it's tricky. So why don't we do this, Mike? I know that we don't have you forever. And I know that our man Wheeler here, possibly the most important guy on today's episode of the hashtag yeah. racing family show. He's got a dinner or something coming up. I think he's just going to Arby's to get all the meats, but that's okay. I, I like the meats. All right. Uh, why don't we uh, say, Hey, you want to pose a question here to our man, uh, just our guy, like really the realest racing team owner you're ever going to meet raise your hand uh submit a request to speak and we would love to consider hey. handing you the uh, the keys to the conversation marshall i do have one question for for mr shank here before we open it up and before we bring the first guest in shank a lot of people are talking about uh including if you listened or if you read marshall's article today on the you know the 32 entry mark where we're at for the indy 500 about personnel Right. Yeah. And a lot of the teams with the opportunities are right here in Indianapolis, the heartbeat of it all. They can't find enough people. Nobody yeah. can find enough people. Yet you are not here. You're in Columbus, Ohio. You're off the beaten path from the motorsports industry. And you have continued to churn out local talent. What is like, what's the, how does that happen? Do you go to tech schools? Is it just knowing good people? And because I like to believe it's just the fact that you and your wife want to run an outstanding company and treat your people great, which is why you have such high level, you know, retainment. But well, how are you pulling this thing off? It's that 24 hour Uber sitting in front of the jail. I think <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, you know, listen, uh, this is our number one problem we face in racing today, whether you're in Columbus or Indy or Charlotte, Mooresville, uh, it's really tricky, but we are de definitely developing young, young, younger folks now. And we get them to come right to us. And we take that, I, I'm going to call it burden, but that's not a great word, but you're going to have a period of training to get them up to speed. And what we're looking for is greatness. And you can see greatness in the first week of a person working at uh, a facility. And uh, when you get it, you know it. And um, we've been kind of using that theory. You know, I've got good guys that run the top end of the business here, and uh, we get feedback right away on some of these folks. But I like the idea of taking, heck, we've taken... We're taking high school kids out of their tech high schools and putting them on different jobs, you know, specifically, uh, you know, things that uh, can put them in a learning environment. And all they got to do, all they got to do is have the will and a little bit of drive and they can go very far in racing. Right. So when we find those kids, man, woman, child, whoever it is, we take them all. We look at them all. You know, um, we, we put our arms around them. We try. We try not to let them go. Hold on, I'm just typing the headline, Shank encouraged by child labor. Hold on just a sec. I'll be, I'll be done in just a moment. Um, you know, uh, we'll welcome in uh, Gary Petri in just a moment here. But, Mike, why don't we stay for just a sec? So tell folks about what going to work for a Meyer Shank racing team involves. I don't know if I, I'm speaking specifically about the things you guys offer because i imagine it's fairly similar across a lot of teams but 
if someone wants to get into racing and whether it's turning wrenches as a mechanic could be yep. design PR again, there's so many roles, but is this a real job, right? Are we talking healthcare and benefits and days off and whatever else we know racing's a little different. It's not a nine to five, but how much of a, a quote real type uh, job uh, do folks get when they come to work for you or for a similar team in IndyCar? Well, first of all, it's absolutely a real job with uh, real benefits and real retirement plans and time off and all that kind of stuff when you can. But the difference is it takes a level of commitment and quality and work ethic in racing that you may not have. And, and I hate and I'm not putting down other jobs. I'm just telling you to be great at what you do in racing, in my mind, and what I try to sell to my people is to have some ownership thinking. Even though you don't have any equity at this point in the business, have some ownership equity in the team thinking to really be great, to truly be great. What does it take? It takes beyond normal. I, you know, everybody looks at something and says, that's good enough. It's never good enough in racing. It's that, that, that good enough is not good enough. And that's my hardest thing to try to teach. It's the hardest thing sometimes for me to do when I'd rather just sit down and have a beer and a pizza, right? Uh, to push it a little further than the next guy will. That that ability in your head to be able to do that. How about just how about the ability to peek, pick up a piece of paper when you know it needs to be thrown in the trash instead of walking by it? The most basics of things, right? Uh, this is what we try to teach. And then I try to teach uh, loyalty and hard work pays off at MSR. So that ultimately comes down. Everybody wants to make more money long term, right? So how can I get them to understand exactly what they do uh, puts returns in their pocket? And it's a constant, constant challenge for me. I've told this story before because I love embarrassing you, but it's, I don't know if it's embarrassment. It's just more proof of you practicing what you just preached end of the end of petite Lamar, for example, really long day, 10 hour race. You're up crazy early. You're not getting to bed until after midnight. It's just an exhausting thing. And you're the team owner. You could easily be the first guy to check out uh, and let everyone else clean up. And uh, I don't know, man, I, th I think it was actually when you, after you won the thing, uh, I happened to see you under the tent while the crew was up victory lane, whatever, um, maybe you were going to head up there afterwards, but I just remember seeing you under the tent pretty much by yourself with a broom. And I'm like, no one else is seeing this. No one else really understands this, but here's a guy who could be up there pouring the champagne on his head. Me, me, me. It's my name on the team. I think it was before Jim Meyer got involved, but regardless, um, and I could even have the event wrong, but I just recall seeing you at the end of a, of a exhausting endurance race pretty much in, in solitude, pushing that broom to make sure that the Kiwi tile was clean so that when the crew got back and it was time to put it away, that part of, thing, uh, of things were already done. And it was just like, that's why we love Mike Shank. There is no ivory tower. There's truly just dirty shoes and a blue-collar work ethic. So, Man, uh, Michael, you, or, uh, Marshall, you hit the nail on the head with Mike, but if you want to embarrass him, all we got to do is talk about Mexican food and barber. Cause I think it was last <laughs> year he was across the restaurant 
and I told him it was his birthday, and they came out with the hat and the guitar and the, <laughs> the paper bags got popped, and and there was nothing he could do about it. He looked helpless, and ever since and I looked, everywhere we go, if, if I see him, it's his birthday. I, I looked down, I saw you guys laughing, I'm like, you son of a... And, uh, yeah, that was great. A lot of that Marshall... So that's, <laughs> that's the new... That's the new instruction, though, for any of our listeners. If you're ever at a restaurant and you see Shank, you got to tell your, your waiter or waitress that it's his birthday. We got to keep this rolling. Oh, I'll, give you, I'll give you $5 if they don't do that. How's that? Uh, <laughs> hey, Gary, why don't uh, Gary Petri, why don't you go ahead and unmute yourself? The uh, floor is yours here in the hashtag racing family show. Hey there. Just wanted to ask uh, Mike. With the award season here, we had the Oscars, the Golden Globes. I'm pretty sure Baby Borg, uh, Borg is coming your way. Where are you going to put that? And the follow-up question is, which team owner in IndyCar or IMSA are you most likely to slap in the face on the award season? <laughs> yes! That was my question, Gary. It's a great one. Uh, so the Borg Warner we get in May at the beginning of May before the uh, Grand Prix, and that has a very specific place in our new shop. It's a glorious uh, center center of a new con uh, um, a trophy cabinet that uh, my good friends at Cap Fixtures built for us, and it's awesome. And we'll put that out on social media. Um, as far as who I want to bitch slap, that list is long. Except I'm only so to say neutral because I don't feel bad if he hears this. Probably Bill Riley. Bill's fun, so we, we, we slap each other once in a while when we get mad at each other. So. I would love to see you and Riley at uh, slap each other in pit lane, actually, Shank. I don't know what I'd rather see more. You guys do it or watch Sunday group uh, freak that, out he, about it? No, we got I would never, you know, he and I, listen, let me tell you something. I, we were, uh, you know, we bought lots of, we spent a lot of money at the old Riley Technologies over the years from, 2005 through 14, we had them. And I still own the, the car we won the 50th with you, Chris. I still have that in my lobby today, actually. Do you, but do you still have the metal replica? I do. It's on the trophy cabinet. Front center, bro. Uh, well, I need to make it over to this new big shop you guys you guys did. You're welcome anytime. So, Marshall, I think I've told it before in the story, and I've said it around people, and, every, and, and Shank always blushes. You know, especially last week, was it, Marshall? Two weeks ago, we had that spotter-only version of the Hashtag Racing Family Show. Yes. And I told the story there. I want to say I was 10, 11 years old, everybody. Mike Shank had a two-liter team. We were racing in Cicero, Illinois at a horse track converted to a racetrack that was seen in the movie Driven, funded by Chip Ganassi and his people. And my parents were doing the decals. And uh, was TJ Bell, I'm thinking, a driver for you back then, Mike? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. So TJ Bell, who's now a cup spotter of all things, um, yeah. and Shank looked at me. He had like three radios and one headset, and he goes, "Hey, do you want to go to the Christopher? Do you want to go to the spotter stand?" It's the first time I ever knew what it was. And we went up to the roof of this sketchy facility in Cicero, Illinois, and I got to watch a race from up there. <laughs> and uh, and all these years later, here I am stuck on this stupid roof. Yeah. Not much so, has changed, has it? <laughs> no, you got you got other people with radios now. <laughs> hey, Mike, let me uh, let me pivot back to this weekend. So, we've had a a pretty interesting opening IndyCar round for Meyer Shank Racing. 
and uh, round two as well with Simon, uh, I would say, rallying to uh, a pretty decent eighth to, uh, to close out Texas. What's a mindset coming back to Long Beach, knowing that this is a place where in terms of expanding the team, seeing it run, the IndyCar side run as a two-car operation, Elio obviously showing out, reminding folks that he indeed knows the fast way around Long Beach. Also getting a little grumpy with Alexander Rossi, which is one of the funny things from uh, uh, our visit in September. But what comes to mind for the IndyCar team, brother, coming into round three, first two rounds, again, been good, shown a lot of promise, maybe not the exact results you want. You, I don't know if I want to ask if you're putting any pressure on the team, uh, any extra pressure, but What's a mindset coming in knowing you guys can perform well here? You're still trying to show a little bit better than what the first two rounds have given. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I look at is is that both my drivers have done very well in the past at Long Beach. So, number one, the drivers like it and know it well. So, that's good. Number two, uh, our cars are very good there. So, from a balance standpoint, from a competitive standpoint, we think our chassis uh, is pretty good here. So that in combination with um, continuing to improve our pit work uh, and strategy side of things, uh, we absolutely think we can do fairly well here. It's uh, it's been a t- it's it's not been great. It's been okay. We definitely showed some speed here and there in both cars at different times. Have not cashed that in. St. Pete, we choose a three race stop, which was not the thing to do, and that screwed us. And at Texas. Uh, uh, Elio obviously was really quick, and actually Simon turned out to be very quick also, and we burnt the right rear off of it, unfortunately, with 12 laps to go for Simon after Elio uh, got taken out. So uh, lots of positives. Got to get it done, though. We got to finish, so we do feel pressure to do that. Now, my I feel pretty good going into Long Beach, if I'm being honest with you. And I think, what the, which is typical for our group, you will see us get stronger and stronger as the as the race season goes. Now, ultimately, listen. You know, these two guys here, one of their primary goals here is the Indianapolis 500. And I think I got two of the best uh, current drivers at the Speedway. They know exactly what they want. They know tactically how to drive the race. And I like our chances there a lot. So what I'm hoping is, is this, we just keep building to the 500, meaning better cars, faster cars, better pit stops, better decision strategy-wise. And we kind of peak around the Indy 500 time, or at least get close to it. And I think we have a real shot at that. Adding to that, Mike, with your IMSA program, I mean, you are a fairly rare being talking about coming into Long Beach, knowing that it is Honda's home race, Honda Performance Development, based about an hour north from where the track is located. But you are indeed representing them in IndyCar, and also one of the two tips of their prototype spears. What is it like for you um, and Jim Meyer and the team as a whole coming into Southern California, not just hoping to succeed as an individual business owner, but also truly playing a major part of Honda and Acura's hopes and goals for the weekend? Do you head up to HPD early or are you having breakfasts and lunches and dinners with key brass there? What's a weekend like for you? Yeah, it's very busy. And all of that is yes. The answer is all of that. So we have lots of people coming in from American Honda, Acura. Uh, we have a big dinner on Saturday evening that we're going to do together. 
with the drivers. Uh, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do well here. Uh, that really ramped up a couple years ago when Honda took over, Acura took over the track from Toyota, if you recall. I'm sure you do. And um, it represents a big, big deal. Now, listen, we won a big one, the big races, the, the Indy 500s, the Rolex 24s. But this one is an elusive guy for us, okay, for various reasons on the IMSA side. Some of us, some things we can't do anything about from a BOP standpoint. But uh, what we do is uh, the BOP is what it is. Okay, so what do we got to do? What kind of Hail Marys are we going to throw at this thing and chances to get our cars to the front? And uh, that's what we've been asked and tasked to do, um, to come up with something creative to get us up to the front. So on the IMSA side, uh, we will absolutely do that. On the IndyCar side, I think we found, uh, you know, you got to qualify well. You have to really focus a lot on quality anymore, right? Because if you're not up there to start with, it's really hard to get up there. Not impossible that we see here and there. So, you know, we're trying to be able to rip off one laps, you know, you know, peak the tires right when they're, and so a lot of times you only get one, one go at it to advance to the next round. So um, I think we have a good shot on the IndyCar side with that focus in mind to advance both our cars at least one round. And hopefully at least one of them, maybe two could go two rounds there, but you know, we'll see. All right. Well, let's bring in a question here. It's been sitting patiently. Mark, unmute yourself. Ask away. Yeah, good uh, morning or good afternoon. I'm an Ireland guy, uh, IndyCar fan, so um, nice to be amongst good company. Um, two questions, actually. Two wide-open questions, I guess. Thanks, Mark. Um, no worries. Two questions, two wide-open questions, really. Um, number one is... What's your opinion or thoughts going forward on some of the car drivers now testing for F1 teams? Do you see that becoming a serious future prospect of those guys moving to F1? And what's your thoughts on Michael Andretti's upcoming plans to enter the world of Formula 1? Do you think that's going to happen? And what's your thoughts on those two things? Shank, were you able to get that? Yeah. So, with regard to Formula One, I, you know, I happen, you know, I can tell you that it's very important to Liberty Media that an American driver comes to Formula One. Who and when and how is hard to say. Um, I can tell you that there's a couple that are ready to go for sure. Um, it, it, we need it. We have three races in our, our country now. It's at an all-time high. Formula One's got my full attention now. Uh, and I used to be a passive listener. Now I just love it. So uh, I, I think there's a real good chance there's an American could go very soon within the next two or three seasons, I think. I know a lot of people put a lot of hope that Colton gets a shot. Um, you know, let, let's see what happens. Perhaps Pato Award met up here? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Pato, Pato, absolutely Pato could do it. And uh, it's just the amount, you know, it's just the right group that, that believe in him enough to do that. And it's really, really tough. Politics really play a tough role, right? And uh, they have their favorites. So that the, the teams all have their favorites within their own system. And uh, they all have, you know, they all have minor league systems too. So it's difficult. And I think that's one of the great things that, you know, Michael could do if he could get a, Michael Andretti could get a team. Um, it certainly would be a more direct route for an American potentially uh, to get in. 
but um, Pato certainly deserves it. Colton certainly deserves. I mean, these guys are young and uh, deserve an opportunity. Uh, the time, the, the problem is, will they get it? Uh, I can tell you that it is a priority. Is there a rumor circulating today that the Audi Group may buy into McLaren? Yeah, that's been uh, circulating for a while, Mark. Them, uh, Williams. I mean, there's, there's been plenty of uh, plenty of speculation as to who might be buying what. But uh, yeah, we were we're gonna wait and see. There. Thanks for uh, joining in here, Mark. Uh, and good on you for uh, staying up here uh, a little bit past just, well, uh, what I assume is your bedtime. Uh, no worries, brother. Thank you. Hey, Harishi, why don't you unmute yourself and take the floor here on the good old hashtag racing family show. Hey, Marshall. Thanks. Uh, thanks Chris and, and Mike for joining. Um, question for Mike, I guess, uh, playing off that F1 theme, there's been some articles in the last week, you know, Alexander Rossi talking about how F1's growth is, sort of a competitor to IndyCar now. And, uh, you know, I saw an article over the weekend of Kevin Harvick talking about the same of, you know, F1 being more competitive with uh, IndyCar and NASCAR and things like that. Mike, your perspective on, do you see, you know, F1's popularity in the United States as a competitor to IndyCar and IMSA, or is it more of a rising tide lifts all boats, both from a, uh, getting sponsorship standpoint, as well as just you know getting fans involved, engaged in the sport and, and attention on the sport. The the uh, the word you use is exactly the word I use. I believe F one is rising all boats in that tide. I, I really think that F one and that program, that Netflix show, has brought a new level of awareness and what's out there for everybody. Now, ultimately, uh, if you look at the viewership and stuff, um, you know their ratings are growing at a huge clip. I think you're going to see uh, Liberty Media and F1 get a much, much better television deal in the U.S. from Formula One. That's coming shortly, by the way. Uh, I'm guessing uh, based on the popularity, nothing else, um, which is great. But I don't my gut. My gut tells me it's not a, a problem for us in IndyCar. Uh, it's really, really two different forms of racing. And, and, and I still don't think they have, you know, they're, they're still to me they're still not as competitive from p1 to p21 as we are but but it's a totally different discipline they've done a great job in building the character the drivers as characters and team principals as characters with a storyline and I mean all that stuff people just love these days and I think they've done a great job and they deserve to they deserve it however saying that I just see a tremendous uptick coming out of covid with racing in general all of our television is up all of our attendance is up um, interest is up, but corporate partnerships are up. Um, now we'll see how long this lasts and we we'll, still has to be, uh, how sustainable, see how sustainable it is. But I believe they all come up together. That's my, that's my, it's a good question there. Peter Croft, unmute yourself. Good evening. Good evening, Marshall. Good evening, Chris. Good evening, Mr. Shank. Hello. Um, so you've now got an Indy 500 notched on your belt as a car owner. You've now got the 24 hours of Daytona. Congratulations on that win. Uh, looking at your past, you've got Petit Le Mans. Your team has been competitive at Watkins Glen and at Sebring. Have you ever heard the siren song of Circuit de la Sarthe? And uh, 
Have you toyed with the idea of going to Le Mans and competing in the 24 hours? Yeah, well, Mike. Ever thought of going there? Well, I... <laughs> Wait yes. a minute. I interviewed a guy that looked a lot like you there. I think yeah. you did. We did. In uh, 2016, we went and ran a P2 car and did okay, actually. But uh, absolutely do we want to go, if it's possible, with the GTP car. Um, it, it's a tricky thing because it's really, really tough to be competitive there when you're coming. You're kind of being dropped in. But uh, it's absolutely a thing on our list to do. Um, I don't know what year we'll get to do that. I don't think it'll be in 23. I don't know for sure, but um, but I can tell you that is absolutely on all of our lists. And uh, the really cool deal there is we get to run for the overall. I mean, we've but you're right. We've won Petite. We've won the six hour. We've won the Rolex twice, 500, and it is absolutely on my list before I go sit on my boat in Florida. Wait a second. You have a boat in Florida, and I'm just now finding out about it, Shank. I thought it was stuck yeah. in Columbus. Yeah, yeah, we'll have one soon, let me tell you. Awesome. Well, hey, Marshall, I'm going to roll to our final question. Yeah, we got, Mr., uh, Mr. We got Jason that, Hatfield. Yes, we got that dinner. Arby's is waiting for you, and I know Shank's got some uh, some work to do here, too. Yeah. Well, I feel kind of like an idiot because I must have hit speaker by, by mistake, but I'll come up with something stupid. That's um, right, Jason. Most of the things in my life have been a mistake, and it's all worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll like beg to volunteer for Mike during the last two weeks of May if he needs a volunteer and just deliver his bush light for him or something like that yeah. if he needs it. Uh, I've got, need I've got plenty, of, uh, plenty of vacation time if you need like a assistant for a couple weeks in May. So, well, you know where you're, <laughs> you'll find me at the end of each day. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I did hit the, I did hit the question no button by mistake. <laughs> no All right. Well, let me, uh, why don't I throw a final one at you, Mike? So here we are heading to Long Beach, a place that you have loved, a place that you've wanted to take home a big victory at. Why don't we shift the conversation, though, from Michael Shank, team owner, to Michael Shank, race car driver? Tell folks about whatever it is that you consider to be your greatest success. Where was it and when was it? What kind of car was it back when uh, Michael Shank from Ohio was planning on winning the Indy 500, Monaco Grand Prix, you name it, future open-wheel star. Uh, tell us about your best race. What was it? It's probably in, you know, I don't know. It, it, I told you, as it turned out, I sucked driving. I wasn't that good driving. So, um, but, I, I mean, I had some decent runs in, in Toyota Atlantic back in the mid-90s. I had a couple good runs at uh, Three Rivers, which I loved that street track. It was really barroom uh, fighting. It was a great track. Also, did really, I did pretty well at Montreal on the F1 course. As a, you know, we were there as a warm-up to the F1 series. I like that, you know. Things like that kind of kind of kept me going, but I never really, you know, I never got to, you know, win any big, big pro races. And, and it's because, as it turns out, I was slightly above average at best. So, uh, but that's okay. But what it did, though, it did teach me a lot about the perspective the drivers have, and and and, and the feel, and the feelings, and the understanding, and, and I learned about the the actual brain capacity, not brawn or fitness, but brain capability you need to have. And the greats like Scott Dixon have, right? And uh, they, they, they can they can literally do strategy on their own while they're doing the race. And I was never capable of that, right? 
and it, it taught me things like that. So it, it's really served me well. I'm glad. I'm, trust me, I'm really, and probably I could afford to do a little racing now compared to back then. And I just just don't have that desire anymore. I have a desire uh, in a different way in racing to to win a couple more of these big big events and I continue to make a living. So. What about what about? And before I hand off to our man Chris Wheeler to take us home, what about? A end of season Meyer Shank racing day at Mid Ohio private day. Bring out one of the one of your Indy cars. Bring out your Acura ARX05 DPI. Um, I don't know what else you might bring out. You climbing in, right? You did one Indy car race. We've spoken about that ad nauseum back in the day. But what about just kind of a fun play day? Thanks to you. Any of your crew uh who hopefully won't run into anything but i want to hear about mike shank strapping in to uh you know pagino's car and you climbing into the uh dpi and whatnot and giving them a little bit of a go think we can get you to sign get you you (laughs) geared up for that i swear to you i promise you i will crash it because i will go as hard as i can go (laughs) out of the pit lane i will crash it so i'm not real crazy about that so all right, that's another terrible idea. Mr. Wheeler, uh, you're about ready to go get them meats, so why don't you take us home? Well, Mr. Pruitt, as always, it's been a pleasure. Mr. Shank, thank you so much for joining us, and of course, all of our lovely fans have tuned in to tonight's edition of Hashtag Racing Family. We can't say anything without our partners. Of course, Justice Brothers, Cooper Tire, and our friends at torontomotorsports.com. That being said, tonight's closing thoughts are going to be a reflection of the life and career of a Mr. Shank and the kind of the attitude that he's taken to the highest levels of success. When you do something and you maybe fail at it, don't stop doing it. Just change your perspective. And that's, uh, that's a tip for the night. It's all about how you see things. It's not always how you do them, but it's how you see them. Yeah. Agreed. Am I right, Agreed. Mr. Agreed. Shank? Agreed. Agreed. I got yeah. a, I got an agree from Mike Shank, folks. So, again, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We'll be back with continued coverage from Long Beach later on in the week. For my esteemed co-host, Marshall Pro, I'm Chris Wheeler. Folks, have a wonderful evening, and we'll see you soon.